took a morning. Do you remember that story about creation? Some of you were here. Did they remember it better than you? I know, I was hiding the cups and you didn't get to see them. That's why you didn't remember them so well. Um, before we read scripture, scripture, I just want to point out um, something to you about what we're doing in Ephesians today because we're doing just that. We're remembering that like in creation, God made new forms and filled them. And he continues to create with you as a container and a partner, filling you with fresh new things and partnering with you and in your partnership with other people in love relationships in order to restore and reconcile all things, all of creation to himself in Christ. I've asked Marion and MJ to uh, read the scripture with me today. And it is a longer scripture, so it'll help to, to break it up some with readers. I know, you were wondering where your microphone was. I think you guys can share this since you're reading different things. And we're reading Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 17. And we're going to read all the way to verse 20 in chapter 5. Okay, So it's a big section of Ephesians. Uh, so the three of us will be reading. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they are closed. They have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. 
Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you for reading that with me. You can see that there is much, much in this text. And I, I reiterate and t uh, tell you again that it's not with the intention to skip things, but there's so much in there in our process of looking at Ephesians that we, we won't do that kind of detail at this time. But I'll use this text um, uh, to show you some things about God still creating things. I purposely wanted you to hear that because it seems like you could actually hear God asking you to pour some things out and then refill the cup that is your container in life. I was uh, imagining myself as I think about God centering us in himself and, I, and thinking, okay, now, for a 59-year-old guy like myself, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does God want to recenter Tim in such a way that he has one new life? Yeah, that's true. And that's true for you, too. And I think that we see this, and it lays out in this text, that God yet has new things, not just for the children. 
because they are young and they haven't been filled like we have. We have it all, right? Thank you for smiling, Clark. Because we don't have it all. And we know that. God is not done with us yet. So I dropped one of our cars off to be serviced uh, at the regular mechanic that, that I service our cars at. And, of course, I know the way to that, to that place. It's in Redwood City. It's a few miles from my house. They, they treat me well, and I guess I pay well. So they keep servicing. But this time, it was just a little bit crazy that I needed to drive the car that wasn't working right. And my daughter and my wife had to get to work. And so the convenient thing was for me to drop it off and walk to where Ellie was at work. This is my daughter, Ellie, for if you haven't met her before. And the, so that was the easiest thing to do. And it was a two-mile walk. It was no big deal. It was a great day. It was Wednesday. It was raining like cats and dogs. And, um, but I just figured, you know, I'm due for this walk, and I can do it. And it... It, it actually shortcuts life for all three of us if I just take this walk. So I dropped the car off and I headed out. And, you know, walking you don't, through a city, you don't walk the same way you drive. And, you know, I know the way. I know the way. But I found myself, because of my need to take all kinds of shortcuts, I found myself backtracking more than once that I've never had to do with my car. I found myself walking down the street heading for a cul-de-sac and turning around and finding my way through a parking lot. But the point was, each time I was doing one of these things, I was backtracking and getting around, and I go, I know I can do this better the next time. But it's kind of like that. Was I really lost? I really wasn't lost because I knew exactly where I was and where I wasn't supposed to be. Right, But I wasn't lost, but I was just a little confused on the walking part. So um, I think this text does some of that because we fill our cups with stuff that sometimes needs to be emptied out. And God is a gracious God, and he allows that emptying. And he allows a refilling of the things that are, uh, that are his and it's kind of a, uh, an interesting thing. At first, I thought this text was one of those texts where you would have a huge list of things like, don't do these things, and do do these things. And that's what brought me to reading it the way we read it this morning. Because in fact, it's not, don't do all these things and do all these things. It's really an invitation to a new picture that God is giving to us. I've talked about this before, that, that we will see in our study of um, Ephesians, that we will see a purpose and a picture and a plan and a part that we will each play. And he kind of unfolds a picture for us of what new life is for us. So yes, there's some emptying parts, but it's really an invitation uh, to, that, to that new life that he gives. And so let me just for a moment talk about the parts 
that can fill our lives that are not healthy. And I'm not going to detail them, but I'm going to tell you what happens because they're written for you, because we read them, because we don't like hearing lists like that. I'll just tell you what happens to them. The word that's used for hardening our hearts is a word that means a stone that is harder than marble. This is what happens. It's like a pet being petrified. Our joints stop jointing. They no longer work because they have become stone, not living stone, stone. You've seen petrified things, wood, fish, different kinds of things. And they, are, they have become stone. That you may still be alive, but there are portions of us that harden up. And we're not capable of functioning fully alive when that happens. It's such a graphic picture to me because I know these things happen in my life, in my relationship with my wife and with my children and with you. That there are portions of me that, that become like rock. And I don't move well. Perhaps this happens to you. It gives us an indication that it does happen to all of us. That these things, and you know what your things are, that fill your cup, that fill up your cup, your container, that turn into petrified, unmoving stone. I can't help but think that a few weeks ago I used that illustration of Oscar Wilde. And in that short quote, he talked about being on top and being uh, at the peak of his profession. You know, at the turn of the century, he was at this um, uh, magnetic author that the world was flocking to. And he couldn't get it. It, it was so dissatisfying to him that he dove to the depths of life and ruined his life and ruined the lives of the people around him because he couldn't get enough of things and of, of dabbling in all sorts of things, the stuff in a cup that needs to be poured out. And it, it doesn't leave my mind because it's happening all around us. That we can't get enough of things and so we fall into craters. And we pollute our lives. And really, the best, the best word for me that describes what happens to us is ugly. There's an ugliness that begins to happen in our lives. And it needs to be poured out. Oscar Wilde finishes the quote by saying his life is over. He has ruined his life and all the talent and all the gifts that he had. He ruined them. I think, too, about the things that are in our lives that don't belong there. And from the things that we've talked about this past year thinking about the overflow, what's in our hearts is actually what comes out of our lives. 
And so in that pouring out, there's, there's kind of a heart surgery that needs to be done uh, to rid ourselves of the stuff that, that uh, is so ugly. Paul's descriptors in there are really, really awful words. They're really awful. It's as if he is saying, um, these are words of stabbing and ripping and crunching and grinding. That's the kind of imagery. That's how stiff his imagery is of the awful stuff that's potentially around that slowly erodes our lives and petrifies it. The other part, the picture that he gives that I'm, that I'm delighted to share with you is a picture uh, that is an extension of creation. It's an extension of forms being filled. These cups of light and darkness, these cups of earth and sky and sea from Genesis chapter 1 are the images that he uses when he, when, when he paints the picture of one new life and calls us to live in it. There's actually a kingdom picture that he paints, and we, don't, we aren't that familiar with kingdom, although I think there's a royal wedding coming up, right? I saw a magazine in my house that told me that. There's a royal wedding coming up, and yet we in America have very little kingdom language. We kind of understand that there are, there's our kings and queens, but in reality, even in England, they don't rule. They're figureheads and titles. But if we go back and remember kingdoms of the past, the king did rule, and he did have citizens, and there was a land. Those, somehow, those are the boundaries of what a kingdom is. And in here, in this picture, there is a king, and there are citizens, and there is a land as well. There is a land. And the king is God himself, and the citizens are you because he's called you to be one of his own. You see that when you look at the scripture, it says he chose you. It says he uh, is making you part of his new plan. Remember this mystery that's been revealed? The mystery that's been revealed is there's no longer Jews and Gentiles. There's one new humanity. And this is that picture that he paints. And it's a picture of people filled with the Spirit of Jesus. It's one of the fillings. But it's also filled with love, joy, peace, patience, and the fruits that God pours out on us. It's full of grace and forgiveness and compassion and justice and mercy. This is the picture that Paul is painting in his words about the things that we put on. You are Christians now. Act like it, Paul is saying. 
do not act in the ways of that the, the stuff needs to be poured out. Because this is a good, healthy picture. Many of these things that need to be poured out of our lives are normal and natural. But that's not the goal. The goal is not normal and natural. The goal is healthy and helpful. It is not, the picture is not pews and pulpits, buildings and programs, systems and institutions. That's scaffolding. Those are the tools that God may use for his purpose, but that's not the picture. The picture is what of, is of the church that is a people, that is full of relationships, a covenant, an agreement that we are a people and that we live together and that he is our God and we are his people. A covenant that says uh, he made a way for us to have one new life. We didn't make that way. It's a kingdom-minded people that in reality, society is a word that fits instead of kingdom. It's a society not just of those that sit in this room, but it's a society that we live in with those around us that are not part of God. But it's a society of love that he's talking about. And a love of God and a love of others so that it is expressed in justice and peace and wisdom. And you and, you and I are salt and light in a society that doesn't look like always like him. But you have been given a part in that. The part not only that is um, your person and what you look, on the out, look like on the outside, but it's all the things that God poured into your life from the very beginning, from you, the time you were the age of these children and your parents nurtured you. And all the layers of your experiences and all the gifts and talents and skills that you've acquired. As well as the layers of, of fruits that God gives to you and gifts that God gives to you. When you layer all those things in and you are vastly different from each other. That's when you become the part players in the picture that God gives us that is a society of love. And it creates, um, it creates a place where provisions are available and purity and stability are a part of that picture. You have prayed those prayers when you have prayed to God. And you've prayed the Lord's Prayer. You have prayed for your daily bread and for forgiving one another. You have prayed about temptations and God answers those prayers. Let me give you a few examples of this, of this kind of life. 
I was, uh, I was in L.A. This is one of my learning points because, and I've shared this with you before, um, I have a hard, I want to control where my dollars go. Whether it's, whether it's a quarter that goes out of my pocket or a dollar bill or a $20 bill, I just soon be in charge of that, even if I give it to you. So this is work that God has to do with me in the area of generosity. Um, that I have to unchain some of those things and just give them to God. I have no problem tithing. I'm happy to give to God. It's all that other part that I want to be in charge of, right? And so God had taught me when my kids were younger that the people standing on the street corner that, that needed something the one who needed it most was, I was the one that needed it most because the dollars were chained into my pocket and I began learning to hand a dollar bill out the window, being totally free from having to be in charge of that dollar any longer. God was totally in charge of whatever happened with that in the hands of whoever I gave it to. And I began to, you know, in that process, realize I don't want my kids to be stricken with that same thing that needed to be poured out of my container. And so one time when we were, we were in a mall, I think it was at Christmas time, somebody that had been asking for money came running up to me and said, I didn't want to take this from children because my kids had given away money to somebody that I hadn't seen. And I thought, what a great thing. And I said, if they gave it to you, they meant, they meant for you to have that. That's not for me to take that back to you. You're welcome to that, to that generosity um, of my children. So I was in L.A. Um, uh, two weekends ago at Staples for a basketball tournament. And it's an area of town that has many people that have many needs and um, I was trying to prepare for that. And my brother-in-law, who was going with me to a game, as well as three of our kids, um, he was asking me how I dealt with that. And I, I shared with him that I, I had to just cut some things loose so, and be free to give, free to be generous. You notice in the text, it says, if you're a thief, go get a job. It doesn't say that so that you can pay taxes. It says that so that you can be generous for those in need. So the thieving part that needed to be poured out was so that they could learn how to be generous. Go get a job so that you can be generous. In this society of love, in this kingdom that Paul is painting the picture of, it paints us as generous people. Certainly we're waiting in line for a Polish sausage and up came a man that obviously had more needs than we did. And he asked uh, from us. And out came the money, you know, to share with him. Yeah, because he had a need, but we had a greater need. Our greatest need was to be generous um, about that. 
Di, were you interested in sharing about gratitude today? Come on up. Let me give you a microphone. And gratitude was another. I asked Diane to share, and then she was disappeared, and then she came back, and so. Yeah. Um, hold that baby right up there. Thank you. Okay, the gratitude list is um, an exercise when you start doing 12-step programs. And 12-step programs are really great when you find yourself someplace you've never been before and you need to change. They take you back to basics and help you understand what you can do. Anyway, a gratitude list. Very early on, met people, they said, do a gratitude list every day. You'd be surprised when you try to do a gratitude list. You start to do it and you're not sure what to put down. You know, I, I was really struggling in the beginning. What's on my gratitude list? What am I grateful for? And then I realized that said a lot about me, that I took for granted an incredible amount of things. Now, remember, I'm doing it in the comfort of my own home. I'm not out there cold or hungry or seeing anybody. I'm just in my home. And quite frankly, when I'm home, I think it's pretty nice. You know, so I'm not really thinking I have to be grateful for anything. And then so you try a few things, like, well, I guess I'm kind of grateful that my kids are alive and or at school. So you type that down. You think, I guess I'm kind of grateful that I got up today and could take care of my feet or whatever. And all of a sudden, it does start to pour out. Now, it took a couple months for this to happen. So it didn't happen overnight. And now daily, I get up and do a gratitude list. Well, this fall, my children, my sons, they're men, when I went to college, were having a very difficult time establishing adult remote relationships. And after a few months of almost a cold war of silence, I said, you know, I'm going to do something basic. So I tried three things, and the third thing worked. The first thing was, let's exchange each day our high and low. That worked for like four weeks. They thought that was fun. But then Russell said, it's too much trouble to think about my high and low when I want to tell you. Okay? Then he said, let's just say something to each other. So we tried that for a while. Then I thought one day, you know what? I do a gratitude list every day. I'm just going to do it. So I sent that to them. Every once in a while, every two out of three, they answer something back. Because in my gratitude list, they can see what my values and priorities are. And they might even say, oh, I could help with that. Or that bothers me too. But now they're starting to get a glimpse every day into my life by just taking this one thing that I do each day. And I can't stop doing it because this is part of maintaining a good life now. In the morning, I wake up, do my gratitude list. The day goes a lot better. Now we're talking 11 months later. So that's my gratitude list. <laughs> Thank you, Diane, because that's one of the other pictures. That's part of the picture, the part that we play in the picture that Paul is painting of this love society, this kingdom. He's saying one of the marks is gratitude, is thankfulness. Go to that when you're pouring out stuff, refilling it, and you don't even know where to start with a gratitude list or a list of thanksgiving, you begin, and it begins to change us on the inside, not only us, but the people that we're in relationship with. I just want to share one more besides um, generosity and gratitude, and that's kindness. 
Kindness has actually been in the press a little bit because we've, we've seen random acts of kindness. Have you seen that advertised occasionally that somebody will come in and they'll give water bottles out to everybody at an event without even advertising anything on it, just giving them perhaps a Costco bottle of water? Oh, what a, an act of kindness on their part. And it's the, while those things I like because I know a church of some of my family that does that at an event every year in their town. And um, I think that's a cool, a cool thing, just randomly doing things for people. And I'm asking myself the question, what about the intentional acts of kindness? Not just the random ones. What about the intentional ones where I prepare my life with $3 in my pocket so when somebody asks me, I can be generous, that I'm intentionally uh, pre-thinking that God has something for me. What about the little girl that makes barrettes and has gone into business of selling barrettes and her mom thought that it was so she'd have some spending money. And she said, no, mom, this is for teddy bears for children with cancer. There's a lot of thought that went into that that mom hadn't even participated in when they got there. What about opening the door for other people? What about taking enough time? I told you this example before, and this is one of you, that said, I won't even go to the grocery store unless I can be kind to the people that I'm there with. I thought, wow, we do get in a rush sometimes. What about... Um, the woman whose mother was having a mastectomy. And it's such a delicate topic. But the friend that usually sat with the guys came and sat by her and didn't say a word about it, but just was there. And the kindness and the gift of presence in a time when somebody needs it that we intentionally go out of our way to accomplish those things. It's part, our part in the picture that Paul is painting at this invitation to this society. I'm sure there's babysitting, and I know there's people that do that here. What about the person whose car is broken down on the side of the road and they're in the rain? I must admit, I don't, it doesn't take me long to forget that. But if I think about it ahead of time, I'm actually looking for somebody that maybe has a flat tire that I can help. But it takes intentionally setting myself up. See, I'm bringing myself back into this because I'm, I began with saying, can God recenter a 59-year-old guy who's got set in his ways and does things certain ways? God can do that for me. He can do that for us. That's the picture that Paul has Creation isn't done. God isn't done doing in our lives 
Because as crazy as it seems to me that God would choose us to partner with in mission in the world, as crazy as that idea sounds, and as many times as I say that, I still believe, I don't know why you did this, because it doesn't seem to work, God. And in all of his wisdom, it's as if he's saying back, because of the things that he's written to us, he's still choosing us to be his partners and recreating and making new and centering us once again in Christ. That our pursuit of him actually has the effect of light and salt and leaven on those around us. And that's his design and purpose. And so you can change it from a 59-year-old man and put in your own statistics about yourself. Can God do this in me? Do I have it so fit and so right that there's nothing to be emptied and nothing to be filled? There's control strains that go through this text. You see some of them in there about not letting the sun go down on your wrath. You see some things that says, just stay away from some of this stuff because it petrifies us. But he calls us all the time, all through both of those chapters into this picture. And that's what he's trying to paint in your life. And he does it in such a lovely way. It's so inclusive of you and I that we would live this way together on behalf of each other. You belong to each other, it says. That's the completion of the picture is you belong together, loving God and others. Be interesting. Uh, a time if you catch me alone and you want to talk about um, the pouring out and the filling up in our lives, because it's certainly true. We've experienced that in the last couple of weeks um, with friends that have talked about their personal lives and stuff that needs to be poured out and stuff that be, needs to be refilled. And we, you and I, are in that process uh, with them and with each other. Father in heaven, I pray for this picture to come alive in my life, in our life. That you would recenter us, that we, we, our focus would not be elsewhere, that we would begin to see right where we are that our relationship with you is the premier thing that could happen in our life. Renew us, refresh us, restore us, rebuild us so that our hearts are changed in a way that floods out the kind of generosity 
the kind of gratitude, the kind of kindness that changes the world. Allow us to do that. In Christ's name, amen.